Welcome to the Social Dallas Podcast. Today you'll hear an uplifting message from our pastor, Robert Madu. Our hope is that your relationship with God would flourish like never before. You're going to leave better than the way that you came in. Some people get nervous about coming to church because like, oh Lord, I'm about to get beat up. No, you're about to get built up. You're going to leave better than the way that you came in. It's going to be so good, especially because last Sunday we kicked off a series. We kicked off a series and we called the series Back to the Back to the Basics. You paid attention. You paid attention. I actually gave you a homework assignment. I said our roadmap for this series is going to be the book of Romans. The book of Romans. The Apostle Paul in Romans really gives us the ABCs of our faith. We said as a church, as we're growing, it's important that we go back to the basics. And remember, I told you, I told you, this series is going to be boringly exciting. It's going to be boringly exciting simply because whenever you go back to the basics, it feels like it's boring. It feels like it's mundane. But nobody starts off just playing Beethoven on the piano. You don't just start off doing all that. You start off ding, ding. To the point you get sick of it and you get tired, but those basics are what you need to get to the exciting. I told you about my son who I was trying to do some drills with him, and this boy is trying to spin it on his finger because he saw Space Jam with LeBron James. And I said, It's LeBron James. And before you try to spin it on your finger, let's get back to the basics. Hope this isn't too many sports analogies, but how many are glad that football season is back? And let me declare by faith what I've been declaring since the 90s. This will be the year of God's team, of America's team, the Dallas Cowboys to defeat every giant. Yes, I see you, J-Dan. Every stealer and everybody. But, but there's a story, there's a story actually of, uh, it's purported of coach Vince Lombardi. And one day he was frustrated with how his team was playing. And so in the middle of the game, he called timeout and brought them into the locker room and was annoyed with his team and said, gentlemen, it's obvious to me that we are missing something here. They were on the field. They were running the plays, but they were not playing to the best of their ability. And the story is told that Coach Vince Lombardi, in the middle of a timeout in the locker room, reached down and picked up an object and said, gentlemen, this is a football. And he went on to explain the basics of the game because he did not want them to forget in the midst of all your running, your tackling, the lights and the cameras, you've got to get back to the basics if you're ever going to thrive. How many of you know when it comes to your faith, the basics are important. So that's what we've been talking about in this series. We've been using Romans as our roadmap. So we're going to go back to Romans. I got through like seven verses last Sunday. Maybe I'll get through like three this Sunday, but stand with me uh, to honor the reading of God's word. We're going back to Romans chapter one. And I want to look at verses 18 through 25. Romans chapter one, we'll start at verse 18. We'll land at verse number 25. If you got a Bible in your hand. Would you wave it in the air like you just do care? Look at all them Bibles. Come on. Some of them glowing, some of them paper. I love it. I love it. Romans chapter 1. And we'll start at verse number 18. If you're ready to read it, say yeah. yeah. If you need a little time, say I need a little time. Beautiful. Everybody's ready. Let's go. You're like, you said read it. I've been reading it all week. Beautiful. Look at what it says in verse 18. It says, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and his divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, 
God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. Verse 25, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served creative things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. I love Paul just gives a little praise break right there at the end of verse 25. But I want to read that again. It says, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. What in the world would make you exchange the truth of God for a lie? What kind of lie would you exchange the truth of God for? I want to preach today, not long, two and a half hours, using this as a title, Big Little Lies. Big Little Lies. I want you to find one neighbor for the last time and say, oh neighbor, please be careful and watch out for those big little lies. Come on, find another neighbor, say, other oh, neighbor. I'm telling you, you gotta be careful. You better watch out for those big little lies. If you believe God's gonna speak to you, give him some praise up in here. Father, speak today. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Big little lies. This is a big week in the Madhu household. As we said earlier, my bride's birthday is this Friday, 35, and still a dime. She turns 35 on Friday. And then on Wednesday is particularly special because we will celebrate and commemorate 10 years of marriage, y'all, 10 years. Oh yes, I will take all them hand claps. That's double digit numbers. That is real numbers on the board. 10 years of marriage. And I can honestly say in 10 years of marriage, I love that woman right there more now today than I did 10 years ago. That is the truth. That is the truth. That's just the reality of putting some years in, putting some years in. There's a depth to our love. Years of marriage can produce, if you'll let it, a depth of love that dating cannot duplicate. It just can't. Two weeks of dating, you don't know nothing other than they fine. That's all you know. And then you get married for some years, you realize you need more than fine. Amen. So 10 years, 10 years of marriage. And I can honestly say that in 10 years, we have never mentioned the word divorce. We, that, that we just don't mention it, that divorce is just something we don't put on the table. It's never been on the table. Now, murder has, but <laughs> divorce has never <laughs> been on the table. She is my ride or die, literally, okay? In fact, we, we got some years. We got some years so I can share this story. Uh, it, it was a long time ago. A long time ago, uh, we were having uh, an intense, uh, passionate discussion of differentiating views. Okay, there's a fancy way to say we was in an argument. And we were in the kitchen when we were having it. I'll never forget this. You remember this? I'm going to tell it. She said I could tell it. In the middle of the conversation, we're going back and forth, and it's getting kind of heated. All of a sudden, that woman of God right there picked up, we're in the kitchen, picked up a fork, picked up a fork in the middle of the conversation and held up the fork to which I said, what you about to do with that? <laughs> and she looked at me and she said, nothing. I said, that's what I thought. But then she kept holding the fork in front of her face. She said, yeah, nothing. But I just need to look at you through these metal bars to remind myself that prison is not the life <laughs> I'm playing, I'm playing. That did not happen, that did not happen. <laughs> but I, I'm being funny, I'm being funny to articulate the reality that there is nothing like the things you love or the people you love that carry the unique ability to provoke and elicit anger out of you. Ooh, isn't it funny how the same person that you love has the ability to pull a side out of you that you didn't know was there? I have often said that if you want to know what you love, look at what you get angry about. 
Oh, yes. Well, we have idioms in our culture for this. We have an adage for it. Uh, one is, hell has no fury like a woman scorned. That, that came from a play, came from a play from a woman who gave her heart to somebody and trusted you romantically. And because you broke her heart and you felt her love, now you and your tires are about to feel her wrath. It is amazing to me how this emotion of love and anger, it is connected. Even in our judicial system, we have a category for this. Some of the most heinous crimes they will categorize as, oh, that right there was a crime of passion, crime of passion. You're still going to go to jail, but they will reduce the sentence. <laughs> they will reduce the sentence because they understood that you just opened up the bedroom door and walked into something that you didn't expect to walk into, and in a fit of rage and impulse, you did something that was not premeditated. It happened in the moment, and your anger was deeply connected to the love that you had and the love that was betrayed. Love and anger seem to be intrinsically connected to each other. Every parent will tell you this. I'm telling you, be on the playground and watch somebody kick your kid, and all of a sudden you will be tempted to kick a kid. <laughs> because they messed with your child. They messed with your baby. It has been said, hear me, that our capacity to change something is directly connected to our capacity to love because we only protect what we love. Ooh, keeping that in mind, I have a problem with Romans chapter one, verse number 18. Actually, I take that back. I, I have a problem, the text doesn't have a problem, and I shouldn't really superimpose my problem onto the text. My problem is, is this, is sometimes I feel like I am God's defense attorney. As funny as that is, as if the creator of the universe needed a defense attorney, but sometimes I feel like I'm his defense attorney and I'm in the courtroom and I'm constantly trying to defend him and his love. Have you ever felt like that? The reason I feel like that is because there are a lot of mean, cantankerous, nasty Christians who don't, if you didn't say amen, you might be one of them. And, and because there's sometimes people who use the name of Jesus but don't reflect the character of Jesus and they're mean. Sometimes, especially as a preacher of the gospel, I feel like I'm in the courtroom saying, no, 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 your honor, your honor, my client. I mean, come on. He is God. He is love. He doesn't just do love. He is the personification of love. He loves so much. Come on, judge. Can I please bring to the court Article 316 out of the book of John? For he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him won't perish and have everlasting life. He's always been about love. He gave his only son for love. He is love. I'm telling you, case closed. That's it. And right after I feel like I've closed the case, I'm like, God, I got you. They ain't never going to doubt your love. I feel like today the prosecuting attorney has come to the courtroom and say, oh, God of love? Okay. Bam! Romans 1, verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed on humanity. And as soon as that's thrown in, I want to go, hold on, pause. Can I talk to my client for a second? Hold up, hold up. <laughs> For real, for real, what is this love stuff? Come on, you say you love, but then you got wrath too. How in the world can you be a God of love and then you're going to tell them in Romans 1.18 and use Paul to say that the wrath of God is being revealed on humanity? How can you have love, God, and also have wrath? To which God would have to respond the same way you do. Because don't forget you were created in my likeness and in my image. And if we have the tendency to protect the things that we love and get angry about the things that we love, if you're going to embrace me as a God of love, you must also embrace me as a God of wrath. As a matter of fact, he would go further to say that I cannot truly be a God of love if I'm not a God of wrath either. Because to be a God of wrath, that means he is coming against something that is damaging that which he loves. Something that is destroying that which he loves. And I'm telling you, your God is so in love with you that yes, his wrath has to be revealed on sin, on evil, on wickedness, and on godlessness. You cannot appreciate a God of love and not understand that he is a God of wrath as well because his wrath is actually proof positive of his love. What gets him angry? Well, we already mentioned it, sin. 
Sin, evil. It is the thing that separates us from God. Sin gets him angry because sin separates us. We talked about this last week. That's the good news. The good news is that Jesus knew that we could not bridge the gap between sin and him, that somebody, somebody had to pay the price because a holy God, a righteous God cannot be in the sight of sin. So he said, I know you can't do it. I know you can't do it. So I'm going to send my son. He is going to stand in the gap. He is going to put on human skin. He is going to live the life that you were supposed to live and die the death that you were supposed to die. That is the good news of the gospel, that it is not your record. It is not your performance. It was Jesus' record. It was Jesus' performance. Your righteousness is ratchet. That's good news, but the bad news is, is sin is what separates us from him. Sin is the greatest tragedy of humanity. It is not the political climate. It is not your economic. It is sin that separates us from him. And sin is what makes a holy and righteous God go, I cannot be connected to sin. But once I put my faith in him by grace through faith, how many are thankful today that I don't have to have, watch this, the power of sin over my life. And I don't have to have the penalty of sin over my life. But it should be noted that just because I put my faith in him does not mean that I will never sin. I hear some people, again, we're going back to the basics. They're like, well, if you are really saved, how come you're still sinning? As long as I'm in this fleshly body, I'm going to sin. And don't look at me in that tone of voice. As long as you're in that fleshly body, you're going to be sinning too. Now, watch this before some of y'all go, turn up. If I'm always going to sin, then let's go. Hold up. Let's get back to the basics. If I am being sanctified, if I am being transformed, I should sin less but I will never be sinless. There was only one who was sinless, but as I'm being transformed by the one who was sinless, I should sin less. So this is the beauty of what he did on the cross. He defeated the power of sin. He defeated the penalty of sin. I have everlasting life and life more abundantly. And how many are thankful one day we will be removed from the presence of sin and I will be completely restored and redeemed. But while I'm on this earth, I'm still in a war. I'm still in a battle. So Paul says that the wrath of God is being revealed. There's something that gets God's wrath to be revealed. It is sin, but then there's also something else. He said, another thing that causes the wrath of God to be revealed is something that we try to suppress. There's something that humanity has always tried to suppress and Paul says in Romans 1.18 that when you suppress this thing, the wrath of God is revealed. What is this thing that humanity has always tried to suppress? Ooh, thank you, my bodyguards, for bringing it out here. It is the truth. He says that the wrath of God is being revealed on those who suppress the truth. Did you see how many of them it took to bring this truth out here? That is heavy truth right there. They couldn't handle the truth by themselves. It took three dudes to bring that truth out here because this truth is solid. This truth is consistent. This is the truth. How many are thankful that God doesn't just speak truth, but the Bible says he actually is truth. He is truth personified. But yet Paul says the wrath of God is revealed because we support suppress the truth. To suppress something means to limit it, to push it down, to restrict it. That's, that's what humanity does with the truth. And I'm finding in our culture today, there is a war on this right here. Have you noticed? Oh, there is a war on what is the truth because we live in an age of spin. We, li we live in an age of alternative facts. I didn't tell a lie. That's, that's an alternative fact. What in the world is an alternative fact? We, we live in an age, hear me, of algorithms. Ooh. Algorithms that create echo chambers in our minds so that we literally think, because I see it on my timeline, it must be true. Not realizing that the algorithm was set up to suggest what you see and it's actually perpetuating an ideology that you already carry and it's making you think that because it's on your timeline, it's true. Just because you're watching it, it's true, but have you noticed all these little algorithms are noticing that we watch certain things and it will suggest the things that you always want to watch? 
oh, from Netflix to YouTube. They're like, oh, based off of what you watch, you'll watch this. Well, what if I want a comedy today? <laughs> Can I watch something else? <laughs> Can I get another viewpoint? Can I get another perspective? What is truth? We live in an age where this, there seems to be a war, there seems to be an attack on what is the truth. Is this really the truth? Just because I saw it on my timeline doesn't mean it is the truth. It's funny because have you ever had somebody come up to you and say, hey, hey, psst, psst, come here, hey, psst. Hey, pff, have you heard about so-and-so? You ever had somebody say that to you? That's the introductory line to all gossip. Hey, have you heard about so-and-so? And then they'll say, yeah, I heard so-and-so did this. Which, by the way, if anybody ever comes to you with that, you ought to hit them with this reply. Why are you telling me this? That'll just make somebody backtrack on gossip. Why are you telling me this? Just hit them with that question. And if they're saved, they'll try to be, oh, well, so you can pray for their needs. Because church people, oh, yeah, we don't gossip. We share prayer needs and requests. Just hit him with that. Why are you telling me this? And then another follow-up question to that news would be, is that the truth? Well, I heard it. Just because you heard it? Does that make it the truth? Well, well I saw it online. Just because you saw it online? Does that make it the truth? It's funny how in our culture, it's hard to know what is the truth. But your God and my God says, I am not a truth. I am the truth. And he says, my wrath is revealed on a humanity that for centuries has tried to suppress the truth because we don't like it. The problem with suppressing it is suppressing the truth does not deny the reality of the truth. As a matter of fact, I dare say the fact that you're suppressing it is proof positive that you know that it's the truth. The reason you're coming so strong against it is because there's something on the inside of you that knows that it is true and you don't like it and it comes against who you are and because it comes against who you are, you feel the need to suppress it. And the problem with suppressing the truth though, especially because God is the truth, is the more you suppress it, the harder it comes right back at you. You can suppress it and say, God, I don't agree. I don't agree with your viewpoint of marriage or sexuality. I don't think it should be in the context of marriage. I can have sex with whoever I want. Okay, keep suppressing it until after you had a whole lot of hookups and a whole lot of one-night stands and all of a sudden you're wondering why it didn't fill the void that was on the inside of you because God said, just because you suppressed it doesn't mean it's not a reality. Oh, I'm going to lose some people in the church today. Isn't it funny how we suppress it? Have no other gods before me, please. Have whatever gods I want, like my job. I'm gonna grind. I gotta get on my hustle. I gotta work. I gotta work. I gotta work. And you've been working and you got the business and got all the money, but you have no relationships and your family can't stand you. And the truth you suppress seems to keep hitting you in the head. Do you know how many people have been coming against the truth and they can't get rid of it and they can't stand it and they keep fighting a truth that is from God? that you cannot deny. So Paul in this text actually says men are without excuse. And here's why. He appeals first to creation. He says creation. He says creation will prove to you that there is a God. Let's look at it right here. He says, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly Seen. In verse 19, he says, what has been known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. It will be furthered in Psalms 19 where the psalmist says, the heavens are telling the glory of God. Because God is a creator, he said, I've actually put in my creation blues clues that I am real that you cannot deny. As much as you try to suppress it, he's saying you should actually look at creation and creation will give you evidence of the fact that I am real. He said you ought to be able to look at a sunset and see the kaleidoscope of colors in a sunset and something on the inside of you should say that did not just happen like that. 
somebody had to create that. Somebody had to make that. He said, you ought to be able to look at a mountain and see a waterfall and how the water intricately flows down from the rock into a plush green valley and something in that ought to take your breath away and say, somebody who is bigger than me had to have made this. He said, you ought to look at the stars at night and look at the stars and the stars will preach to you and let you know that there is a God. I'm telling you, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. I can look at creation and creation lets me know there has to be somebody that put this thing together. I don't have enough faith to believe that nobody plus nothing created everything. That you could take a whole bunch of puzzle pieces and just throw the puzzle down and all of a sudden it fits perfectly together. No, there is a God that created it. That's what Paul is saying. Think of the brilliance of the bars that Paul drops. He said, this invisible God is made visible by what he made. The God you can't see, you actually can see if you stop and you look at the creation. So Paul first appeals to creation. Why does he appeal to creation? Because if you believe that there is a creator, it's going to start a slippery slope. If you believe looking at the creation that somebody had to make this, there was a creator. After the creator, that would be a good cue to beautiful. After the creator, you would then go, if there's a creator, then there must be a design. And if there's a design, then there must be intention and intent for that design. And if this creator is intelligent and had intention for something, there must be a morality. Things were made for certain things. And if there's morality, uh-oh, then there must be accountability. Ooh, the thing that nobody likes. If there is a creator, then I must be held accountable because in the same way that the ocean can only go this far and the sand has boundaries, I must have boundaries. Ooh, but that's a problem. I don't like boundaries. Isn't it funny we are the only created entity that fights the boundaries we were put in? You don't see a fish talking about, I was really supposed to be a bird. I don't know why they put me in this blue water. I preferred the blue sky. We are the only created entity that fights the boundaries and the limitations that God put us in. And Paul says, we know it. We know it. He says, there's something on the inside of you. There is an awareness of divinity on the inside of all of us, whether you admit it or not. And I appeal to this because isn't it funny how we all expect people to be accountable to things that we aren't even accountable to? <laughs> the hypocrisy of humanity makes me laugh. You will see people that lie all the time. I'm talking about lie all the time. And they have the nerve to get mad when somebody lies to them. Okay, can I believe you were so dishonest? Homie, all you do is lie. Isn't it funny, isn't it funny that somebody huh, that would cheat, a cheater has the nerve to get mad when, so, when somebody cheats on them? Isn't that, isn't that hilarious? Y'all got together by cheating and now it ain't no spice and you shocked that they cheating on you? How could you? Did you forget when you slid in that DM? Oh, this second service, I'm sorry. back in school. Remember back in school when you would cheat on tests? Some of y'all need a little help. You ain't got to tell nobody. I know. And isn't it funny? Like, you be, you be taking a test. You know how you do. And don't you hate them people that always like, like, focus on your work, okay? Don't be trying to cover up what I'm trying to look at. Isn't it funny? You know, you just try to go there. Teacher always will catch you. Then you look up. Like, minus the phone. Stop laughing, you're telling on yourself. And if I, go back to school for a minute, we're going back to the basics. And if I, you could cheat on a test, cheat on a test and look at it and man, whoo, yes, I got to be. Boy, just imagine, just imagine you start looking and you realize that the teacher made a mistake. The teacher made a mistake and you're actually supposed to get an A. She has to go, what would you do in that moment? You know, you know oh, excuse me, teacher, can you look again? You cheated me a few points. I'm supposed to get an A on a test. You cheated on. People that steal. Thieves call the police. 
thieves called the popo when somebody steals from them. What is that? What is that? I love the way Pastor Andy Stanley says it. He says, there is an ought to that stands outside of you and that is over you that did not originate with you. I'm so nice, I'm gonna say it twice. There is an ought to that stands outside of you that is over you that did not originate with you. Paul doesn't just appeal to the creation, he appeals to our conscience. That there are things that as soon as we do it, we know we're wrong. Why do you lie and then lie about lying? Uh, I didn't lie. No, you lied. Why not say, yeah, I lied, I did it, so what? What is that? What are we appealing to? Paul says, God put that in you and you can suppress it and you can push it down all you want but the more you push it in fact the force with which you push it it will come back and hit you in the face because his truth is the truth but you know what our generation does is if I can't suppress it or I keep suppressing it we got some new stuff we all we go alright 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 obviously that ain't moving so let me do some new stuff. Let me just, let me get my own truth. <laughs> I like this truth better because this truth can move. This truth can change. This truth can go wherever I want it to do. And that, I mean, this is the cry in our culture. We got the nerve to post it and put songs in it. Uh, live your truth, for real? Live your truth. Follow your heart. Just follow your heart. Really? Follow, your, follow the thing that Jeremiah says is wicked and deceitful beyond cure. Follow the thing that has the ability to deceive you and you don't even know why you did what you did. Follow that. It's a jacked up compass to follow. I know, leave them alone. They're on a journey. Let them find their truth. It's true for you. It's not true for me. Gravity's true for you. It ain't true for me. Let me jump for a second. All right, player. I mean, then we got to start thinking, this makes no sense at all. Can you imagine that in a courtroom and a judge hears the prosecuting side and he says, you know what? That's right. And the defense says, hold up, let me say. The defense says their side, the judge goes, huh? That's right too. And the clerk is looking up like, hold up, judge. They can't both be right. And the judge's like, that's right too. <laughs> there has to be a truth. But we live in a culture that wants to redefine what truth is and say, just because it's true for you, it doesn't have to be true for me. And I'm learning that this is actually what the enemy wants. The enemy wants you to adopt a truth instead of the truth. But the problem with a truth is the truth is always a camouflage for a lie and I want you to see how good he is at it because whenever he presents a lie it's never going to look like a lie it's going to look like a truth or a big little lie he, he stands back he is strategic he did all the way from the garden of Eden he knows what to offer you as a matter of fact I want you to look at this let's look at John chapter 8 because I don't think we really understand the strategy of the enemy what is the enemy actually trying to do? Is he trying to get you demon-possessed? Okay, maybe. Is he, is he trying to get you to wear all black and walk around looking evil? Ah, probably not. Uh, here's what he's trying to do. He's trying to get an idea into your mind that you will embrace as a truth, but it's actually a lie. See, I don't think the enemy is concerned about you telling lies as much as he is concerned about you living a lie. Because once you live a lie and embrace a truth that is actually a lie, it becomes a part of you. It becomes who you This is his assault. It's always been his assault. I love this because Jesus is talking to the Pharisees in John chapter 8, and they think they're from Abraham. He's like, no, actually, uh, you're actually from your father, Satan. And he breaks it down right here in John chapter 8. He says, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. For there is no truth in him. 
When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Jesus is always about the truth. The enemy is always talking lies. If you hear his mouth moving, it is always a lie. But I came to tell you the lie is never going to look like a lie. It's going to look like the truth. Look, look at how he rolled up on Adam and Eve in the garden, Genesis chapter 3. Did God really say you must not eat of the tree of the garden? Notice he attacked Eve in isolation. Because as long as he can get you in isolation and get his lies lodged in your mouth, he's already won the battle. But she already was outside of community. Where is Adam in this moment? Gets her in isolation. D did God really say you must not eat of that tree? He put an idea in her head, to which she knew the word, she knew the truth. She said, well, uh, he said we cannot eat of it, he said we cannot touch it or we'll die. And here comes the lie. You will not surely die. And what's crazy is they ate that apple or pear or peach, whatever it was. And as soon as they bit it, read your Bible, they didn't pass out and die. Not physically, but spiritually. Immediately died. In a moment, their bodies ultimately did what their spirits immediately did. So instead of being God conscious, I'm self-conscious. For the first time in humanity, I feel shame about the body he put me in. For the first time, when I hear the voice of God, I'm running and hiding from a God I used to run to. But the lie didn't look like a lie. Can I just bring it all the way home? The, the enemy is not going to present to you a lie like run away with somebody that's not your spouse and go to Vegas and get cocaine and snort it on the table. He's not coming at you like that. He's not that extreme. It's not going to start like that. Okay? If you're looking for that, most of us, most of us are not jumping on that. And even if you do, it didn't start like that. He didn't come at he comes with this right here. Hear me, he'll appeal to your emotions. It'll be more like this. You know, you've never been happy. Think, think about the last time you were happy. <sighs> that was before you got married. That's when you were happy. Man, this marriage is just not, just not what you thought it would be. And plus, plus, you were young. You were young when you got married. You're a different person now. And you know what? They haven't evolved to who you are now. You would be so much happier with somebody that's on your left. That's what it is. That's what they, they, you just outgrew. The, you outgrew them. Be happy. That's what he's going to come with. And then they'll say, he'll say, did you see her in the office? Did you see him? He's not going to approach you with what looks like a lie. He's going to appeal to your emotions. He's going to appeal to your happiness that you can find true happiness outside of this truth. That's how he attacks you. And here's the scary thing. People always shout in church, the truth shall set you free. Know the truth and the truth shall set you free. You better believe this truth, the truth that is our God who is the truth, it will set you free. But how many know that principle works? over here too because if the enemy has gotten me to accept a lie as a truth I will walk in the freedom of that truth that's a lie so if I have adopted a lie you're unlovable nobody will ever love you if I adopt that lie as the truth I will walk in the freedom of that lie. I will walk in it and I will push people away that actually do care about me and I'll remain in isolation and it's a self-fulfilling prophecy because as you're telling yourself, I'm unlovable, I'm unlovable, I'm not worthy of love, I'm not love worthy of love. And as, as you embrace it, it ends up materializing in your life and then you look around and you are isolated and you are lonely and it's only because you are adopted something that was not the truth. It was a big little lie and God sent me on assignment to tell 
somebody that this is your liberation day. That's why you had to be in this service because the God that loves you wants to free your mind of the lies. You will not always be that way. Just because you have a desire to do something does not mean that that is who you are. But this is what Paul is saying. He actually says it's a slippery slope. He says because you go from suppressing the truth, having your own truth. He says, and then, something weird, he does this other shift. He says, then you go from being unthankful and not giving God the glory. Now that messed me up, Paul. I said, really? Paul, who's going to keep going down to all kinds of perversion and all kinds of malice and envy. But before he gets all of that, he says, oh, by the way, it goes from suppressing the truth to not glorifying God, not giving him the thanks. Thankfulness is connected to it. You better believe it. Go back to the basics. Go back to the garden. What did the enemy do? With the lie, clothed as the truth, he got them to hone in on the one tree that they couldn't touch. Forgetting all the other trees God just blessed them with. They weren't thankful for all they had. But he narrowed their focus on the thing they didn't have. And they were unthankful. You think you're just complaining? You think you're just venting? You're on a slippery slope of idolatry, which is the next step. They worship the creation instead of the creator. And then from idolatry to sexual perversion. Because anytime in the Bible you saw idolatry, there was always sexual perversion. Why do we keep falling for the same trick of the enemy? These big little lies. It's never going to look like a lie. It'll be a lie with a little bit of truth. He'll do like my daughter Remy does, who I love, and she knows she can play me. This happens all the time in our house. She'll come in, and she is an actor. This girl has skills. She'll come in the room. Daddy! Daddy! Evie and Bubba hit me in the face. I didn't do nothing. Daddy just hit me, and I'll get all worked up. I'm like, what? Are you serious? Come to find out, oh, that's all she told me. She did not tell me that she was spitting on them, licking them, kicking them, putting her hand in the face, and then they slapped her. She just gave me a piece. That's what the enemy does. These big little lies that he tries to get lodged into your heart and your mind. These narratives that are not true, but because you've adopted it, it starts manifesting in your life. And then, perhaps the tr most tragic part of the text is what Paul says happens as you go on this slippery slope. He says that God gave them over to a depraved mind. All throughout the verses, you'll see that phrase, God gave them over. He gave them over. See, God's wrath in the Old Testament is revealed actively. Those are the passages preachers sometimes scared to preach where like fire burns people up and holes form in the ground. That is the active wrath. But in Romans, Paul brings something new, and this is the passive wrath of God, which is actually, in a way, grace. Because God finally goes, okay, I'll give you what you want. You tired of feeling that voice on the inside of you that's telling you this is not right as much as you're trying to say no it is right embrace it no I'm suppressing it that thing you keep fighting down and how many know you can suppress it long enough to the things that you used to cry about you actually don't cry about anymore you actually feel good doing it but if you remember back when you first did it there was something in you you cannot deny this he is the creator he wired it in us some of us have suppressed it for so long we don't weep about it anymore and then we get bold about it and we just embrace it this is who I am and God says okay I will reach a place where I will give you over to your desires and now you are being led by it you identify as it and he gives you over to it this is the greatest tragedy so many people go how can a loving God Send somebody to hell. He gives you 
what you want. Why would he make you spend time with him in eternity when you did not want to do it here on earth? Why would he force you to be with him? It is him removing. Saying, okay, you've stiffed on me long enough. I'm giving you over. Can you imagine my kids? I, I know I use them a lot. That's all I got. It's so funny, like, I'll give them a truth. Go to bed. Why? Because I said it. I mean, I don't have time in that moment at nine o'clock at night to explain to them the process of sleep, that you have rapid eye movement sleep, and then there's light sleep. And if you don't get enough REM sleep, you will actually mess up your prenatal cortex. And I don't have time to break down the brain. And they don't even know how to understand it. I'm giving you the simplicity of, this is the way I designed it. This is the way I said it. Go to bed. Can you imagine this happened a few times? This is how you know, if you don't believe in original sin, have kids. <laughs> They'll get, oh, so sick of you. Can't stand this house. I wish I, they said, I wish I had another daddy. I wish you would just leave me alone. What if just one of those times, just one time, something snapped in me? I said, you know what? <laughs> you sick of me? Okay. I'm restricting you? Okay. I'm out. Taylor, let's go. And we leave them in that house for about two months. Hell will be in that house. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There will be darkness, because I'm not paying the light bill. There will be scrambling for food. And they will be crying. And how many know I did not create it. I simply gave them over to what they want. And I'll come back till you realize you needed my provision. You needed my boundaries. You needed me to tell you that this is right and this is wrong. I am God and you are not. Stop trying to suppress the truth, but cling to the truth. Run to the truth. This God is not a cosmic killjoy. This is a God that protects that which he loves. In every restriction, every commandment, it is for your enjoyment. And the trick of the enemy that he keeps playing us on is that you will only be happy if you find your own truth. But I'm telling you, what if the truth you're holding on to is a lie? A big little lie that crept in. But God says today can be your day of freedom. This is the beauty. How many are thankful that you can still come back? It is not too late. Hear me, you are not too far gone. If you will come back to the Savior who is the truth, stop trying to fight it. Aren't you tired? Stop trying to suppress it. Stop trying to rip it off. How many of I rip off this truth? It's still going to say everlast because it's everlasting truth. You can't fight it. You may as well just submit to it. God told me to preach this message because the scales have got to come off of somebody's eyes. Today is your day to reject the big little lie and come to the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. Would you stand to your feet all over this place today? Nobody moving. This is a holy moment. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you that you are slow to anger. Thank you, God, that it is your loving kindness that brings us to repentance. God, I thank you for your love. And God, I thank you for your wrath. I thank you that your anger, your anger is at the addictions and the sins and the bondage that destroys the beauty of your humanity that you created in your image. Father, I'm praying today that instead of doing what the culture says, which is live your truth, we would come back to you, the truth, and we'll keep coming back, and we'll keep coming back. And God, even when we mess up, 
even when we fall down, thank you that you are a loving Father that is replacing lies with truth if we will just come to you. Do it for my brother. Do it for my sister today. Let this be their emancipation day where they walk in the truth that is you. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed all over this place. If you'd be so honest to say, man, Pastor Robert, this is for me. Some of you know what it is to battle against your conscience and the awareness of the divine that is in you. And some of you know what it's like to cry about it and cry about it, but the more you keep doing it, the easier it gets and how you're being led by that desire. And today, oh God in his goodness ordained you to be here today. And you can come back home. We say it all the time here at Social, you can always come home. The story in the Gospel of Luke of a son who went away and found himself in a low place that he never thought he would get in. But the Father still let him come home. Hear me, you are feeling the Holy Spirit right now speak to you. Don't neglect the beauty of that feeling. Conviction is a gift. Oh God, I don't ever want to get to the place where I'm comfortable in it and you give me over and I'm led by my desire. And hear me, even if you do have the desire, you don't have to be led by it. We serve a Savior that defeated death. You don't have to be led by that desire just because you have it. It's not a sin to have the desire. Heads about, eyes are closed today, but here today you say, Pastor Robert, this is for me. There is some big little lies that I've embraced and I believe as I was preaching, God was speaking to you and today that lie needs to be shattered by the power of his truth. If that's you and you recognize it today, would you just lift up your hand as a sign to say, Lord, today I'm rejecting that lie. I'm rejecting that lie. You are not unworthy. You are not unlovable. You will not always be that way. You are not stupid. In fact, I come against every lie that was spoken over you in your childhood by somebody that was supposed to protect you, been told you they loved you and they didn't protect you and they abused you. I come against that lie. That lie, that is the beauty of his blood. It can go back that far to that moment and heal that wound. In the name of Jesus, anybody else lift it up and put it right back down. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Heads are still bowed, eyes are still closed. If you're here today and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, that's the first step. It is not your works. I said it last week. This is for dropouts only. It's not your record, it is his. You say today, I need to surrender my life back to this beautiful Savior. If that's you, would you lift up your hand high enough and long enough to where I can see it? Just lift it up saying today's the day I'm giving him my life today. I see that hand. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Here's what I want to do. There is something powerful about leaving where you are and coming to a new space and place today. I'm gonna ask this, if you lifted up your hand for either one of those, I believe today we've been singing it all day, the power of his name. God wants to give you a name, a new name today. Some of you have identified with lies for years and today you are coming under the truth of his name. If you lifted up your hand or you should have lifted up your hand, come on, I'm gonna count to three. I want you to come. I don't care how far you gotta walk. This is your day of freedom and of liberty. Liberation. One, come on, if you know this was for you today. Two, if you're ready to reject that lie and cling on to this truth. Three, would you come? Would you come? I don't care who you got to push out of the way. This is a big moment. This is a big deal. Today is the day of salvation. The day you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Come to him. Stop trying to suppress the truth. Embrace the truth. Come on, come on. Come all the way up. Come on, come on. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, that's why you had to be here today. That's why you had to be here today. That's why you had to be here today. 
That's why you had to be here today. God knew this moment before the foundation of the earth. Come on, let's declare that as they're coming in my Father's house. Come on, come on, come on. If you know you need to come, I want you to come. I'm a Somebody throw up your hands for your father and let's declare. The sun says free. Oh, it's free and deep. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. Oh, in my father's house. There's a place for you to hear me real quick if if you can I have a different perspective on moments like this and thank you for responding to what you know was speaking to you and coming forward this this is powerful what you did today coming forward this is amazing but this is just a little bit of what has to be a journey I think so many times we come to moments like this and we have genuine encounters and that awareness of the divine that some of us have been suppressing and fighting against and it's been hitting us back upside the head and we get to these moments but then we go back out and we are constantly inundated with so many other lies to the point we find ourselves back in the same position and often even worse and then we question whether that was legitimate the first time because spiritual formation, hear me today, spiritual formation will happen in your life whether you like it or not. 
Hear me, whether you're pursuing Jesus or not, you are being formed into something. You are becoming something. And it is what you are feeding yourself with, what you are scrolling on. And if you think that an hour or two hours in a service like this is going to make up for 30 plus hours of lies and lies that are coming against you, there's not enough. I want to tell you this now because I know how the enemy is going to come against you and he will make you think that this moment was not legitimate and it was. But we will spend all of our life being transformed and becoming who he has called and created us to be. And some of you, the most powerful thing you can do is not just respond to this altar. I'm so glad you did. But to check what you are allowing to come into your spirit, what you are watching, what you are scrolling in. I'm telling you, it is forming you. Even when you think it's a downtime or off moment, what you are watching, what you are putting in you, it's forming you. You are becoming something. This is the power of community. The enemy will always get you in separation and lies. God is trying to get you in community with spirit and truth. And that's what will form you into who he is calling you to be. We would like to thank you for being a part of our social global family. Please head to our website, socialdallas.online and see the many ways you can stay connected with us from around the world.